This will also be our main text that we'll be focusing on, Ezekiel 47, the verses 1 through 12. Ezekiel 47, beginning in verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate, and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side." Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits. And then he led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes." Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engedi to Eneglaim, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. So far from Ezekiel 47, let's turn also now to the Gospel of John, John chapter 21. This is the last chapter of the Gospel of John. After Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, he appears to his disciples. John 21, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were, not, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. 
The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Uh, Now we'll turn to one last uh, passage. That's Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 6. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So far the reading of God's Word. Uh, As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 46, uh, stanzas 1 and 2. I suspect that some of you may be wondering, uh, what exactly do the texts that we read have to do with the event that we're celebrating, the ascension of the Lord Jesus? Uh, None of the texts that we read actually mention His ascension, uh, and none of them, at least at first glance, seem to have anything to do with Uh, at least directly, with Christ's ascension. Uh, However, these texts have everything to do with the implications or the meaning of Christ's ascension. Uh, And we'll see that as we work through that. Uh, To be able to see that, though, we first need to ask a question, which is this. What is Ascension Day all about? Uh, What are we celebrating when we celebrate Ascension Day? Why? Why do we celebrate this day? Uh, To many Christians, Ascension Day is just not a very significant holiday. It's uh, not a a big day on the calendar. Uh, And one of the reasons for that is we tend to think of Ascension Day from the perspective of here below. uh, And from that perspective, what is Ascension Day? It's the day that Jesus left us. The day that Jesus went away, uh, which you might rightly think is hardly a day worth celebrating. Uh, But although scripture does record what that event was like from here below, it shows uh, that event from the perspective of the disciples, the dominant perspective you find where scripture talks about Christ ascending is not the perspective of here below, but the perspective from above. Uh, Or to put it another way, the primary focus in Scripture is not on where Christ was leaving, 
but rather where Christ was going and also why. Uh, Daniel 7 records Christ's ascension uh, from above, from the perspective of the angels. He says, the angel took me to the throne room of God and there I saw one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Uh, He sees it from above. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 4 uh, talks about Christ uh, carrying the host of captives with him uh, as he ascended into heaven and from there giving gifts to man. The perspective is, where is he going and why? Uh, Likewise, the Lord Jesus himself, when he was speaking to the disciples in the Gospel of, of Luke, right at the time of his ascension, uh, he tells them, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Uh, where's his focus? On why he needs to be there. On why he must go. Uh, he says further, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The, the focus is Christ will be on high, not Christ will not be here below. Uh, The significance of Ascension Day, then, uh, is not on where Christ was leaving, but on where Christ was going and why he was going there. Uh, Christ was going to the throne of his Father. He was going to receive a kingdom, and he was going in order to send his Spirit. It's where was he going And why? Uh, That's what makes Ascension Day a day worth remembering. Uh, To put it yet one more way, Christ's ascension was an ascension into glory. It was, uh, you could even say, the culmination, the completion of all of Christ's work on earth. Uh, It was, in that way, the beginning of of a whole new age. Uh, To use an analogy in in the uh, trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, uh, the last book or the last movie, whichever way you want to think about it, uh, the last uh, book is is the return of the king. Uh, and, And Aragorn's ascension to the throne of Gondor is the culmination of the entire trilogy. It's the completion moment when everything they set out to do was done And therefore, it's the beginning of a new age for mankind. Uh, That's the significance of Christ's return, or Christ's ascension as well. It's the culmination and the completion of all of his work on earth, and the beginning of a very different new age. Uh, Unlike the Lord of the Rings, the story of Scripture doesn't stop With Christ's ascension, uh, the new age begins and continues even to the present day. Uh, So then, what did happen on Ascension Day that makes it so important? uh, To to really see why it's so uh, such a big deal, uh, we also have to see the larger story of Scripture. Just like to know why it was so important that Aragon ascended to to the throne of Gondor, you have to know the whole story to know why uh, that, that was such a big deal. The story of Scripture is a story of a battle between two very different opposite kingdoms. The kingdom of God over against the kingdom of Satan. Uh, a kingdom, of course, is, is the territory over which a king rules. So it's the, 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 the rule of God over against the rule of Satan. Now we know in creation, the entire earth was under the rule of God. 
God created the world. God set, God set uh, man and e- uh, Adam and Eve over the earth as his vice regents to, to rule. Uh, that's his command to them. You are to have dominion over the earth. Make the earth the kingdom of God. Exercise God's rule. But if you know the story of Scripture, you know what happened. Satan came in. Satan deceived them, led them into sin, and turned the world into Satan's kingdom. And that's not an overstatement to say that the world was Satan's kingdom. Uh, Of course we know God has never ceased to be the rightful king. That's why God wages this war. Uh, and, And that's why you might also find psalms that speak of the earth being God's domain. Uh, But scripture is also honest about the fact that in practice, in reality, on the ground here below, much of the world has been under the dominion of Satan. Uh, Ever since the fall into sin, then the story of Scripture is one of a battle between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And the promise right from the beginning, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, God came to the devil and he said, I will make war between your seed and the seed of the woman. Uh, So Scripture tells the story of God uh, building His kingdom, establishing His kingdom, waging war against the kingdom of Satan. Uh, That's what happens in in Genesis when God calls Abraham uh, out of, or Abram at the time out of Ur. Uh, What was God's promise to Abraham? Uh, I will make a great nation of you. And I will bless all the families of the earth through you. In other words, I'm going to wage my war for my kingdom through you. Uh, You see this uh, as well when David was established as king. God makes a promise to David. I will set one of your sons on your throne to establish your kingdom. And whose kingdom is that? It is ultimately God's kingdom uh, that that he promises to establish. And yet the story of scripture, as, as we know, as we've worked through kings, is also a story of the failure of mankind to bring about that kingdom. Uh, already Solomon uh, fails. He, he, he apostatizes. He, he walks away from the God that he once served and loved. Uh, the kings after him failed one after another. We've been seeing that in the book of Kings. And it's in that time that the prophets then, like the prophet Ezekiel, start looking forward to the, the, the true and final establishment of God's kingdom. They start recognizing the kingdom's not going to come through these weak, frail, imperfect kings. It will only come through the Messiah, through the Christ. Uh, so the prophets start looking forward to the coming of, of the Christ. Uh, and with the Christ, the assumption is, then shall the kingdom of God be established. You think of the prophecy in Isaiah 9, right? Uh, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And what's said of that son? Well, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, so forth. What else is said of that son? It, it, it is said, the government shall be upon his shoulders. It's looking forward to a kingdom. Uh, now, so that's, that's the larger story of Scripture. God's promising, I'm going to build a kingdom and I'm going to wage war on the kingdom of Satan. And that's what Christ also comes preaching. Matthew 4 says uh, Jesus came uh, preaching uh, his very first words in Matthew. Uh, from that time, it says Jesus began to preach saying, repent 
For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's looking forward to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, So what does all this have to do then with with Christ's ascension? Uh, The good stuff happens here. This is where it's interesting. (laughs) What what does this larger story of of the the two kingdoms have to do with Christ's ascension? Uh, It has to do with, with it in this way. When Christ died and rose, Christ made it possible to accomplish what before never could have happened. All these kings before came to establish the kingdom of of God. Even David, uh, with all his might, wanted to establish the kingdom of God. He couldn't. Why not? Because he was a sinner. Because he was weak. Because he was frail. And because our sin brought us under the judgment of God. Well, that is what Christ addressed when Christ died. He removed the one obstacle that kept the kingdom from coming, our sin. And he crucified that obstacle to the cross. And by doing that, Christ bought, Christ purchased the kingdom for himself. And from that point onwards, what does Christ tell his disciples? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's my kingdom now. I bought it with my blood. Uh, That's what Jesus then says to his disciples. And what's the consequence of that? All authority is given to me. Therefore, what? Therefore, he says, go and disciple the nations. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's what the ascension of Jesus is about. It's, It's where he's going and why. He's going to the throne room of God. Why? To sit on his throne to receive his kingdom, and then to go send his spirit and take that kingdom for himself. That's why this is a day worth celebrating. And that was the promise of all the prophets of the Old Testament. uh, That when the Messiah comes, he's going to reign on his throne in his kingdom, and his reign is going to be for the healing and the gathering of all the nations of the earth. I'm going to word this uh, very strongly here, but not inappropriately. The vision of the Old Testament is that the Messiah would come and establish his kingdom and begin the healing and gathering, not just of a few small elect from among the nations, but the healing and gathering of the nations themselves. Uh, The good news of the gospel, as it's seen Old Testament and New Testament is that the the, the gospel and the spirit are going to go forth, the word and the spirit go out from Jerusalem and reach the furthest nations and gather the entire earth. That's what our text in Ezekiel is also about. Uh, Now let me set this up and just uh, explain the context here in Ezekiel. Uh, The book of Ezekiel is is one of the least known books of of Scripture. It's one of those books we rarely read. It's hardly ever preached on. Um, And and it's unfortunate because it is a beautiful book when you understand its meaning. It's a very carefully crafted uh, prophecy. It takes the shape, the, the overall shape of Ezekiel is a 
covenant lawsuit from God uh, against his people Israel. Uh, And it was written by the prophet Ezekiel, who was among the exiles in Babylon. So uh, Ezekiel had been taken out of Jerusalem before the city was destroyed. There was a first exile. And he was there in Babylon, and God reveals this vision to Ezekiel while he's there in, in Babylon. Now, in the original Hebrew, the book of Ezekiel had 49 uh, chapters. Uh, it was made up of seven sections. Each section had seven chapters. Uh, you know, seven, the number of fullness. Uh, and so seven times seven, the fullest uh, fullness. Uh, 49 uh, parts to the book of Ezekiel. Uh, and, and the way the book is, is just broadly structured, uh, the first part of it deals with judgment. It's a lawsuit, so judgment against Israel. The next part is judgment against the nations. But the last part, which is where our text comes from, the last part talks about the restoration, not just of Israel, but of all the nations as well. Uh, it, it culminates the first two Parts. Uh, that's the part that we're looking at here in Ezekiel 47. It's the prophecy, or is part of the prophecy, uh, speaking of the day when God's going to send the Messiah and restore the entire earth. Uh, so Ezekiel 47 looks forward to that day uh, when, the, when it, it talks about the new temple, a new temple being established uh, and, and the world being renewed. Now, the image in this chapter is a, is a very uh, strange image, perhaps, to our ears, but it's this, this river. It starts out as just a trickle. You, you saw that word in Ezekiel 47. It's a trickle flowing out of the, the temple of God. Uh, now, uh, the, the uh, concept of a river coming out of the temple may, may sound strange to us, But it did not to the Jews of that day. It was quite a familiar image. Some of the psalms we sang uh, even earlier this evening speak of this river. Uh, Psalm 46, there's a river flowing out of God's city. Or Psalm 72, talking about the reign of the Messiah on his throne, talks about drenching the earth, uh, soaking the earth with God's uh, grace. Uh, so this, this was a familiar image to the Jews, and they understood that river to be the Spirit and the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word of God. Uh, we, we saw this actually only a few, uh, a few weeks ago when we were in 1 Kings 16, uh, looking at Ahaz, uh, and how Ahaz had exchanged what God, Isaiah said, were the gently flowing waters of Shiloh. Uh, there was a spring in Jerusalem called Shiloh, and this spring uh, created a creek that flew down, or that, that, that uh, flowed down out of the, the city. And Isaiah complained that Ahaz was rejecting that spring and that river for the mighty rivers of Assyria that were going to drown his nation. And so this is a familiar image. That river is the spirit and the word of God uh, that, that Ahaz was throwing away. Uh, So now Ezekiel looks forward to the last day, to the final age, when the Messiah is on his throne, and he sees the temple of God established, and this river starts very, very small, this creek flowing out of the temple. Uh, Now, uh, what is this temple? If we can just stop and, and, and leapfrog forward to the New Testament, what is this temple that Ezekiel is seeing Well, Jesus identifies it for us. It's the temple of his body. He says, destroy this temple, 
and I will rebuild it in three days. He is the temple of God. John, uh, the, the first chapter of the Gospel of John uh, says, The Word became flesh and templed or tabernacled among us. Since Jesus is the temple. Uh, so, uh, if we're going to look back on this chapter as Christians, we recognize what's Ezekiel looking forward to? It's to Christ. He's looking forward to the temple that is Christ as it's established in the throne uh, room of God in heaven. Uh, the, the New Testament then teaches us over and over that the temple is, is Christ. Uh, so this is a vision of, of the time when Christ is uh, in, in heaven, uh, having been established as the temple of God. So good, now we, we jump back to, to the vision in, in Ezekiel. And he sees this water flowing out of the temple, uh, which we now know is Christ. Uh, and, and of course, united to Christ, the church. We too are, are the temple of God. Uh, and, and that water is flowing out from Christ, uh, out from the temple, and it flows towards the sea. Uh, now the sea uh, may also be a strange uh, metaphor for us. We, we don't necessarily assume that means anything, but that too was a well-known image uh, to the Jews. The sea uh, represents the nations. Uh, we sang in Psalm 46 of, of the mountains being plunged into the sea. That's the mountains of God, uh, the mountains of like Mount Zion being cast into the sea. He was looking forward to exile. Uh, the sea is the nations. Uh, and, uh, and so this water flows out from the, the temple, out towards the Gentiles, towards the nations towards the sea. The angel then takes Ezekiel to this this little creek uh, where it starts flowing out of the temple, just trickling, it says, out from the south side. He goes on, he says, uh, going eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again, a thousand and it was waist deep. Again, a thousand. And he says, it was a river so big, so great, that I could not pass through it, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And what's he seeing there? Uh, the angel asked him afterwards, son of man, have you seen this? Uh, in other words, do you get it? Or do you know what you're seeing? Uh, what's the meaning of this river? It's a vision of Christ on His throne and the Spirit being sent out from His throne, growing deeper and deeper and deeper in this world. It's a vision of the outpouring of the Spirit and Word of God, the spread of the Gospel that brings with it healing, restoration, life, and peace. Uh, So Ezekiel stands at the beginning, and it's just a trickle. Just a small church. Just a tiny persecuted church. A thousand cubits. A thousand years later. uh, And it's ankle deep. Just up to his ankles. Still not that big. A thousand years on, he says, and it's knee deep. A thousand years on and it's waist deep. Another thousand and it's too deep to swim in. It's the growth of the gospel in this world. And the spread of the Spirit. 
And you notice what happens as the gospel goes out, as the Spirit goes out to the world. Uh, You see what happens in verse 6. Then the angel led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea again, what's the sea? The nations. When the water flows into the sea, the water that is of the sea will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Uh, What's the point, brothers and sisters? The point is, the gospel, as it goes out, now that Christ has ascended and is seated uh, on the throne of God, uh, the gospel going out will bring life to this dead, broken, fallen world. It brings transformation. It brings renewal. Indeed, it's such a transformation that when that sea, or when that river hits the sea, uh, usually a river becomes salty when it hits the ocean. But this river, when it hits the ocean, turns the ocean into fresh water. Instead of it becoming salty, the sea becomes fresh. It gives life. And where the water becomes fresh, life abounds. Uh, And you see that as well if you keep reading in Ezekiel 47. He talks about fishermen. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Enigliam. It will be the place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Now, there there are many uh, things to be said here. Uh, First, just a comment about the fishing. Uh, The the Old Testament actually doesn't talk a lot about fishing. Um, It's it's not a common metaphor in the Old Testament. Uh, Once you get to the New Testament, there's fishing going on all over the place. Uh, Jesus calls fishermen. He uses fishing analogies uh, all the time. and, and when, if you remember, when Jesus called his disciples, at least when he called Simon and Andrew, uh, who were Galilean fishermen, he says to them, uh, follow me and I will, you know it, I will make you fishers of men. Uh, that's what Jesus had in mind. And he's, he's hearkening back to this chapter. Uh, now, just a clarification, when we talk about fishing, uh, this needs to be said because we're in Ontario, uh, we're not talking here about ice fishing, we're not talking here about fly fishing or river fishing. Uh, well, we are talking about river fishing, but not that kind. Uh, fishing in that day was done via nets. Um, we're not talking about a hook that gets just one fish, we're talking about a net that gathers many. Uh, that's the, the image you want to have in, in our minds. Uh, and, the, and the text speaks of the gathering of many fish of many kinds, different species of fish. To get the, the, the image that's being uh, played there, uh, the gathering of many fish, different fish, uh, Jewish fish, Greek fish. Roman fish, uh, and even some stranger species too, like Dutch fish, uh, Canadian fish, and even Chinese fish, uh, and, and every kind of fish. Uh, that's that's the, the image that's being presented here in, in this, uh, this uh, vision. The harvest of the nations. As the gospel goes out, it brings life, it brings transformation, and it brings a harvest unlike anything that's ever been seen before. And that's what Christ ascended for. That's the why. 
he ascended. Uh, When Christ ascended on high, he came to receive a kingdom. Uh, Daniel 7, as it records the ascension, it says, To him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. The diversity of fish that are brought into this kingdom. That's what this vision is all about. From the moment that Christ ascended and received the kingdom from the Father uh, that He had bought with His blood, uh, He began the great mission of gathering all the fish, uh, of sending out the river of life to bring healing, to bring life, and then to bring a harvest of fish. Uh, now, uh, a, fun, a fun note here. Uh, in John 21, when Jesus met his disciples as they were uh, fishing, uh, we're told that they caught nothing. All day long they were trying to catch uh, literal fish and caught nothing. And then Jesus comes and says to them, cast the net over there. Uh, and they did, and they brought in a massive haul of fish. Uh, John actually mentions the number of fish, 153 fish. Uh, now, What's, why does John mention 153 fish? Uh, what's, what's the big deal with that number? Is John just uh, suddenly having a, a love for, for details? Uh, no, 153 is actually a, a very important number in the ancient world. Uh, so I'm going to go off the deep end, uh, no pun intended, for just a moment, uh, but, but you'll enjoy this. Uh, this, is, this is for the math nerds. Uh, 153 is, is what's referred to as, as a triangular number. Uh, okay, what's that mean? Well, ancient people were obsessed with math, kind of like the Mayans were obsessed with math in, in, the, uh, in Latin America, uh, because math was, was thought to be the language of the gods. Uh, and, and the Jews shared that obsession, though, of course, with, with different reasons. Uh, and 153 is, is a special number called a triangular number, uh, specifically the, the, the triangular of 17. Uh, so here, here's how it works. Uh, a triangular number is, if you were to take the numbers and make a triangle, you've got one, two, three. There's a triangle. Three is a triangular number. It's the last one in that triangle. Or you could build it, four, five, six. Now, six is the next triangular number, or seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, so, uh, one, three, six, ten, fifteen, twenty-one. You've got these triangular uh, numbers. Uh, and uh, another way to, to envision uh, what, what these numbers are is if you take any number and you add up it and all the numbers before it, you get a, one of these triangular numbers. So, uh, three plus two plus one equals six. I think, yes. Um, uh, 4 plus 3 plus 2 plus 1 is 10, another triangular number. So uh, these, were, these were important numbers, and there's not actually that many of them. Like the further down you go, the, the larger they get spaced apart. Uh, and, and 153 was one of these numbers. It, it's the triangular of 17. So you add 17 plus 16 plus 15 plus 14. All those numbers down, you get 153. Uh, triangular numbers uh, were, were a big deal in that day. Another, um, just to illustrate that, a number, another significant triangular is 666. 
that's, that's the triangular of 30, uh, 36. So 36 plus 35, 34, uh, you get 666. These were important numbers, symbolic numbers in the ancient day. Uh, so 153 is the triangular of 17. Now here in Ezekiel, uh, I promise we'll, we'll get back on land here. <laughs> We're going to get out of the water. But uh, here in Ezekiel, it, it says, Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engedi to Eniglion, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. What's, what's with the names here? This, this Engedi and Eniglion. Uh, the, the N actually just means spring. The spring of Gedi and the spring of Eglaim. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, these, in, the, in the ancient world, uh, words had, symbolic, or had numeric value. So in, in English, we have Roman letters and we have uh, Arabic numerals. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. These are Arabic symbols that we use. Uh, in, in the ancient world, in, in Hebrew, Latin, Greek, they used their letters uh, for to, to, to represent numbers. Uh, so you could look at any, any word, particularly in Hebrew, you could take any word and you could sort of flip a switch in your brain and read it as a number. Uh, that, that's how they, they uh, wrote their numbers. Uh, and, and so they paid close attention to the, the numeric value of, of different words. Uh, uh, give you another example. Uh, 666 is the numeric value of Caesar Nero. Uh, that's that's why that that uh, number uh, matters. Or uh, the numeric value of the name David is fourteen. So Matthew's gospel records uh, fourteen generations from Abraham to 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 do uh, uh, David, uh, and, and then fourteen generations from David to Babylon, and fourteen generations from Babylon to Christ. So it plays on that that. 14. So, so Ezekiel is full of these uh, special uh, symbolic numbers. Uh, I promise I'm, I'm not making this up. You can, you can Google it uh, afterwards. Well, what's the point of all this? Uh, when it says, uh, from Engedi to Eniglaim, the, the number of Gedi is 17. Eglaim is 153. Uh, remember, 153 is a triangular of, of 17. Uh, what's the point of this? Uh, these triangular numbers symbolized fullness. It symbolized fullness or plenitude. Uh, it, the, uh, it, it's like the, the maximum you can pull out of a number is its triangular. You take 17 and add all of its component parts together, you get this the fullness of 17. Uh, what's the point? From fullness... To fullness upon fullness, there shall be the spreading of nets and the gathering of fish. That's the image being conveyed here. Uh, You see this as as Jesus also goes to his disciples. uh, He tells them to spread out their nets and haul in the fish. And it was a great quantity of fish. Fullness is is the image we should have in mind here. Uh, now, I'm just going to have a little bit of fun with that passage in, in uh, John 21. Uh, it also mentions uh, when they pulled in that net of 153 fish, it, it, he, he bothers to mention as well that they were only 100 yards, or in the Greek, 100 cubits off of land. You see where I'm going with this. Uh, Ezekiel is standing at the, the, the first part of the river. Then he goes 1,000 cubits, and the, the hull is this deep. Uh, then he goes 1,000 more cubits, and it's this deep, uh, and goes on and on. Uh, John must be having fun with this text when he writes it, because uh, he points out they gathered 153 fish, which is a lot, 
and they were just 100 cubits out. Look at what's coming uh, when they go deeper. Uh, this thing is just getting started. If it's like this 100 cubits out, imagine 1,000. Imagine 2,000. Uh, and, and he also points out uh, that despite the great quantity, the net, the net is not broken. Uh, for all the diversity of fish and the incredible number of fish uh, in the kingdom of God, the church is still one. It's one net holding all these fish. Then Jesus says, let's have breakfast, which I think is where the metaphor uh, breaks down. Uh, But we'll leave that there. Uh, This episode mentioned in the Gospel of John, at the very end of the Gospel of John, is not random. Uh, The Apostle John was familiar with the Scriptures. He was steeped particularly in the book of Ezekiel. He knew that book very well. And we know that because the Apostle John's the one who wrote Revelation, uh, which is a Christian rewrite of Ezekiel. You have to read these two books side by side to be able to understand Revelation. John knew the book of Ezekiel, and John is playing with these ideas, teaching us uh, through, through certainly facts that did happen. I'm not saying he's making it up. He, he recorded these facts that happened, and he's seeing the significance, the symbolism of what's going on there, because he knew the book of Ezekiel. Uh, This becomes very obvious when you get to the book of Revelation, which was also written by the Apostle John. Uh, Now, uh, again, uh, scholars have long recognized that that the books of Ezekiel and Revelation are meant to be read side by side. Revelation is like a Christian commentary on the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Almost all of the imagery uh, that you get from from Revelation is taken from the book of Ezekiel. Uh, So you can't understand Revelation without first understanding uh, Ezekiel. Uh, And like like Ezekiel, Revelation 2 is written as a covenant lawsuit uh, from God against his people Israel in which God, uh, so to speak, divorces the old harlot. Uh, He's separates from the old harlot and marries the virgin, the new church, the, the, the people of God in the New Testament. Uh, so, so just like, like Ezekiel, much of Revelation is filled with this, these images and symbols of judgment. Uh, so much of Revelation shows the judgment that was about to come upon Jerusalem. Uh, and and it, it has largely the same structure, the judgment on Jerusalem, the judgment on the nations of the world, and then the restoration of the world, just like uh, Ezekiel. Uh, now, here in Ezekiel 47, when we see this water flowing from the temple, uh, transforming the earth, it, it, it also talks about the banks, Along the banks of the river, besides the fishermen, uh, it also talks about these trees. Uh, they will grow all kinds of trees for food. It says their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they'll bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Uh, so he says their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Uh, this is a vision of a healed, restored earth. Uh, Revelation, uh, the end of Revelation, presents us with the very same picture. Uh, We read about it in Revelation 22. Uh, It says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from where? From the throne of God. Who's seated there? 
Christ as after His ascension, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And it says the leaves of that tree were for the healing of the nations. This tree that you see in Ezekiel and in Revelation is the tree of life. Which is, uh, as scripture unpacks it, it's the tree of God's covenant. Uh, Remember in Romans 11, uh, Paul uses this image of of a tree and, and branches were cut off from that tree and you were grafted into that tree. Uh, the, the image of, of, of a tree is a very familiar image for Jews of God's covenant. Uh, uh, you think of uh, Psalm 128, your, your wife will, will uh, your, your children will be like olive shoots. Well, where do olive shoots grow out of? An olive tree, God's covenant people. Uh, so it's a familiar image, uh, the tree of life, which is God's covenant, which draws its life from where? Where does this tree draw its life from? From the river of God's word and God's spirit. As they flow out from the sanctuary, they they feed, they give life to the tree of life, to the covenant of God, to the church today. And the leaves of that tree, it says, are for the healing of the nations. Let me bring this home then. Uh, Christ came for the healing of of this earth for the healing of the nations. Christ came to a dark, broken, hostile world to heal, to bring the dead to life, uh, and, to re- uh, and to renew and transform the earth. Uh, Christ accomplished that in the first place by dying to remove the obstacle of sin that kept the world in darkness and death, and in that way by purchasing the world, the nations for himself. And then when he ascended on high, he said, I'm now taking this dominion. It's mine. And then that's what he commanded the disciples to do. Uh, So Christ ascended in order to receive the kingdom from the Father. That's the why. And and then to, to initiate the great harvest of all of the nations. And that harvest will only happen when the word of God and the spirit of God go out from the temple. That is, out from Christ and out from us, his church. We are part of his temple. Where the word goes out, there is life, there's healing, there's transformation, there is renewal. Uh, That river of the word of God and his spirit, that river has been going out of the temple, out of the church for 2,000 years. And and I would suggest it's just knee deep, just up to our knees. Uh, There's a lot of healing that needs to happen yet in this world. Uh, And the vision presented here in Ezekiel is the gospel is going to keep going out. The church is going to keep growing. And healing is going to keep coming to this world. now, Ezekiel recognizes it, it's, not, it's not painting a, a perfect world immediately. Uh, it, it's a gradual growth. And Ezekiel recognizes, too, uh, it will, not everyone in the world will be saved. Uh, he, he does talk here. Uh, the, our text talks about that as well. It says there will be swamps. There will be marshes. There will be places left for salt. Uh, but understand this. Those are the peripheries. 
Those are the edges. Uh, Those are the backwaters. The picture you should have in your mind that Ezekiel presents us with here is the entire earth is going to be inundated with the spread of the gospel and the outpouring of the Spirit. And there will be healing as that gospel goes out. Now the truth is, this is an important thing to think about on Ascension Day as Christ is reigning. The truth is, we often set our sights far too small when we think of the vision that God has for this earth. Uh, We tell ourselves, uh, you hear it all the time, well, this world's just getting worse and worse, uh, and maybe that's a sign that Christ is coming back soon. Uh, And meanwhile, what has Christ told us? Christ has told us, this is my kingdom. Go out and preach the gospel to all nations. Make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Christ says, this is my kingdom, go take it, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. You know, what Christ didn't say is, go out and make disciples of all nations, but don't get your hopes up. That's not what Christ said. He said, I'll be with you. Uh, He said to Peter uh, in Matthew 16, he says to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades are not going to withstand it. They will not hold up against it. The gospel is going out and it will bring healing. Though this dark, hostile world doesn't want that healing, God will bring it anyways. He will bring life. Uh, and we, we who have hoped in Christ, we who have come to know Christ, we know this. You know, those of you who have just finished a, a season in, in life renewal, uh, you know the healing, the healing that the gospel brings. Uh, and, and the vision then of the prophets is, is the gospel will heal not just a small handful of believers scattered here and there. The gospel will heal the world. The gospel will heal the nations. Uh, Habakkuk 2 verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. The oceans becoming fresh. And so the gospel, bringing with it the knowledge of God's glory, has gone out and is still going out. Uh, The church of Christ has grown from that little trickle, that handful of believers uh, in Jerusalem, to already millions upon millions throughout the earth. And where we stand, 2,000 cubits out, so to speak, we might well be only knee-deep there might well be yet further renewal, further growth of the gospel. There's a long ways to go before we can say Christ has healed this earth. But who can deny the healing power that the waters of the gospel bring? Uh, Power to heal you and I, and power, yes, to heal the nations as well. Well, that's what Ascension Day, brothers and sisters, is all about. Christ ascended into glory, to receive a kingdom, to begin the harvest of all the nations. And we know, brothers and sisters, how badly this world has need of such healing, Uh, how badly we ourselves have needed it, uh, how badly we still need it. The glory of Ascension Day is that healing is coming. It has come, and it's still coming to this earth. That's what we celebrate. That's what we should be praying for as well on this Ascension Day, that Christ, by his word and spirit, would continue this amazing global work, gathering the nations, taking in the kingdom that he bought with his very blood. Amen.
Uh, let's respond to the word of God by singing from hymn 45.